In this episode, Nelson Nash and I discuss life, history, and economics. Welcome to the Banking with Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery, and I'm excited as uh, I can be that you're here, and I'm as a, even a little bit more excited, i got to be honest, that we have Nelson Nash here today as a guest. He's a dear friend, mentor, and uh, just literally elated to have him. Good morning, Nelson. How are you? Good morning. Yeah. Listen, uh, really, it is unscripted. You know, I want to uh, uh, have a just a conversation with my dear friend Nelson and uh, but I do want to know you know I want, I want you to have the opportunity to tell us a little bit about yourself to the people that may be listening who may not have had the opportunity to meet you and may not have uh, they just don't know who you are and what you've done right well maybe they're fortunate <laughs> so, <laughs> well, maybe maybe they have an opportunity yeah <laughs> well, you're going to have to ask questions because I might say the wrong thing. Well, okay. Um, yeah, I need guidance. Uh, no, I understand. The, yeah. uh, you know, uh, what I find quite often in the, in the big wide world of pushing back the frontiers of ignorance um, or expanding the frontiers of knowledge, depending on a positive outlook or a negative outlook, right? Um, yep. You know, people's understanding of life insurance, I, I frame it, I believe I heard you say it, where most people's understanding of life insurance is based on someone else's misconception. Oh, yeah, yes, by all means. Now, that took a radical change, really, about uh, so 75 years ago or somewhere like that. Uh, it, it began to change, but the big change was about, what? Uh, I'd say uh, uh, 70, uh, 70 years ago it changed big time in the World War II. <clears throat> it changed from a kind of a, you know, historically people yeah. saved money in life insurance. Yeah, it sure did, yeah. Yeah, so life insurance has been around a long time and they use it and so forth, but. Uh, to see uh, a thought process change big time after uh, World War II. Uh, see uh, all the uh, uh, all the military folk are getting off active duty, and uh, the socialists who were in charge at that time uh, said, uh, "You know that's going to ruin the economy. Uh, we can't absorb all those folks with." Uh, that need jobs all, all at one time. So uh, we got to give them something to do this so that they'll transition into the general population over a period of time and kind of graceful. And so let's send them to college. So not all that will increase the intellectual cap capital of this country and we'll kill two birds with one stone. But what actually happened was quite different. Uh, the, the doggone colleges became diploma mills. And as a result of today, the uh, uh, cost of uh, uh, college diploma has gone out of sight and uh, the quality has gone down the hill. But uh, worse than all that, James, is the nonsense that's been put in their brains. Uh, I, uh, I think that uh, that phenomenon uh, was the advent of creating the uh, what I call Harvard MBA 
syndrome. We get more, we have more financial geniuses today than all of uh, civilization put together, and they really don't know beans. But uh, that's just the heck of it. Uh, that's uh, it's, it goes back to the uh, uh, general problem. The, the basic problem with human beings is that um, they uh, are egocentric big time. And uh, they're also lazy at the same time also. So, yeah, be nice, sir. <laughs> but other than that, it's a good situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah but you, you do have some great uh, folks out there and whatnot. They're all in this, during this time. Uh, uh, it's been my great fortune to meet uh, fantastic people that uh, are well-educated that do not have diplomas. You know full well that Leonard Reed was my personal friend and mentor, and without question, he was the most educated man I ever met in my life. Uh, he had no degrees from anywhere. Well, neither did Henry Hazard, his co-founder, and uh, neither did Herbert Spencer uh, in England years before that. But uh, their access to uh, uh, great information it was very limited compared to what we have today. The, the tragedy is that today we have access to stuff that's unbelievable, really. But uh, we uh, have, uh, we've got problems with direction. Uh, you ever examine the word vector, V-C-T-O-R? I have. And our conversations in the past. Yeah, all right. A vector is a force in a direction. Without both qualities, you don't uh, have a vector. And uh, so, uh, uh, you know, I'm an airplane driver. Let's use that as an example. So here's the uh, airline captain uh, on a trip, uh, comes on the intercom and tells the people, uh, uh, I have to report something to you, that I have good news and the bad news. Because our good news is that we're making a good time, but the bad news is we've lost our course. And so, <laughs> so, so that's, that's what I think has happened today big time is they lost their course. Yeah, welcome to America, right? Yeah, well, the world. Right. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> well, was, uh, did Paul Perot, was he educated? He, did he have any degrees? Uh, Paul was uh, a theologian. Uh, yeah, uh, he, he was. He was a good friend also, but I never spent all that much time with him compared with uh, uh, Leonard and with uh, Henry Hazlitt. But uh, I did know Paul very well. Uh, he had relatives that lived in Atlanta, and so uh, quite often when Leonard would come down to, to uh, do his thing with us when I invited him, uh, he would bring Paul and uh, always enjoyed him very much. And uh, Leonard leaned on Paul pretty heavily. Uh, uh, I remember one of the stories that Leonard had about uh, he had, uh, Leonard had written an article of some sort and this labor union leader had read it and uh, was, very, very uh, uh, antagonistic toward Leonard as a result of it, wrote him a real mean letter and 
he couldn't even spell some of the words right and so forth. And uh, Leonard did not trust himself to answer the guy's letter. Uh, he gave it to Paul and says, Paul, uh, uh, write me a response uh, as if you were writing the Lord. And uh, so uh, he did. Well, the, uh, some fairly short time after that, the labor leader uh, uh, apologized and, and so forth. And uh, uh, Leonard sent him some more stuff to read. And uh, then more time passed, and the guy says, uh, this is great. Uh, uh, send me anything that you think that I need to uh, read uh, along with invoice. <laughs> and uh, by this time, the labor union leader had quit his job. And <laughs> he ended up being quite a supporter of Leonard and of FEE. And uh, he had, had Leonard to come to lectured the groups that he put together also. And anyway, he ended up being a great supporter for FEE. And one of the times that uh, uh, he had invited Leonard, Leonard, they were going back to the airport for Leonard to go home. And they were reminiscing about how they first got together and uh, the uh, rocky start that they had at the beginning and uh, how the change had taken place. And Leonard asked him, uh, do you know what I did to you? <clears throat> he said, no, but I'd like to know. And Leonard took his airplane ticket and uh, put it against the window of the car and was holding it with his finger. <clears throat> he says, what happens? Uh, why, how does the paper stay uh, attached to the window? He says, well, the compression between your finger and uh, the wet in the, the, the window. And uh, Leonard moved his finger and the paper fell. He says, that's what I did to you. <laughs> I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't push back. <laughs> yeah, what a picture. Yeah, that's. <clears throat> That's a lesson to be learned. You know, that, that guy yeah. would be considered a modern day troll, but it had a great outcome, right? That's oh yeah. No question. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, um, you know, with the, the change in thinking after world war two, I mean, that always reminds me of Paul Perot and his <clears throat> little pension. Yeah. You brought yep. back to publication, you know, the pension. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> right. And, uh, I think, I think the thinking really just uh, almost snowballed, you know, from that as well. We save money here, uh, life insurance and mutual funds got their existence in the late thirties and they've come on like gangbusters. Then the oh, socialist yeah. idea of, uh, you know, there's not enough jobs to go around. Can't leave these uh, soldier boys to their own devices, you know, cause yeah. they might not be creative. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, well, yeah. concept. Well, as a result of all that, you know, Walter Williams says half the kids in college should not be there today. It's, it's a total waste, but that's the mindset out there that everybody needs a college degree. Well, they're not capable of it. And so uh, they get started and uh, they drop out and whatnot. And so here's all this uh, infernal indebtedness and uh, it, it just won't work at all. 
but uh, the whole problem is top-down thinking is what it is. Yeah, it's almost, um, you know, it has created a a whole new bubble, you know, this uh, education loans and indebtedness, and sure. it's become a paper mill on a, on a on a couple of levels. You know, the universities are paper mills with their yes degrees and diplomas, but um, it's also a paper mill for loans and digits. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Into the economy. So, I mean, it, it really has had several effects, you know, most of them probably unintended consequences. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You could uh, make a real case for that unintended consequences out there that, uh, uh, has good intentions, but good intentions won't do the job. To the contrary, I think uh, good intentions have created more problems than anything else out there uh, when you really look at it deeply. Yeah, <clears throat> almost. We, we talk about it all the time around my office that, you know, as soon as a man stands up and says he knows what's better or best for everyone yeah. else, you know, it's like the the lights go off right there. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, and then when an individual wants to run for office, you know, I think there's a, a something psychologically wrong with them. <laughs> but that's just me talking out loud, right? Um. All right. Well, listen, I, I would like to kind of, um, I'd like to talk about rates and and it's just a continuation though of the way people think, right? Uh huh. Everybody in the financial world is is chasing rates of returns. The yeah. industry is, you know, creating products. Really, at the end of the day, yeah, promoting rates of return that um, may or may not happen, and may or may not be realistic. But it's it's a deeply ingrained pattern in our thinking as a society to chase these rates of return when it comes to money. Yeah. And no matter what they've experienced and whether, whether they've lost money in the market or whatever, um, you know, they, my point is this, that the thinking is entrenched about rates of return, even though they don't experience them over and over and over. You know, the industry, the financial industry says, oh, you can expect this kind of rate of return. And even though they don't experience those rates of returns, they're still chasing these phantom rates of returns. And, sure. it, and it has to do with their thinking. Yes. It's, that's the whole problem right there, the, 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 the thinking. Uh, they don't think that's just it. They need knee-jerk reaction. And so they reflect from one place to the other. Well, when they flip from one place to the other, they stopped earning whatever they were in the old place. And now they think they're earning someplace uh, here. And it, it just doesn't work at all. Uh, there's, uh, everything is really so simple out there. But people like to listen to nonsense for some reason or another. They're particularly attracted to nonsense, but that's been the uh, story of mankind since day one, though. So that's nothing new. Uh, same old, same old, samey, same. Yeah, right. sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, what what do you see going out going on out there in the big wide world as as far as the uh, you know the financial industry, the insurance industry, and 
what what do you see what's your you t- you talk to an awful lot of people you know an awful lot of people economists you know just ordinary people what what what's your take nelson on what's going on in the financial world well it's nothing uh that's all that attractive because uh people are being deceived the easiest thing in the world uh to do is to Okay, let's put it this way. Uh, maybe this will help. Uh, back when I first wrote my book, Becoming Your Own Banker, uh, about 18 months later, uh, there was this marketer that uh, called on me. I didn't know him, and he didn't know me, but somehow or another he had uh, come across my book as a result of uh, a contact of some sort or another. And uh, anyway, uh, I said, had several sessions with him over several months, and uh, he um, told me finally, I can make you very wealthy, uh, but you got to learn to compromise some of your principles. You got to learn to uh, tell half truth. If you'll tell half truth, people will throw money at you, and uh, it's very evident that that's true. Uh, gosh, all you got to do is just look at what goes on out there that uh, what the quote market has to offer as far as uh, ideas. Uh, Bob Murphy sent me uh, something just the last few days, uh, some uh, advertisement about uh, several books that would uh, help you get rich, whatever. And of course there was Dave Ramsey there and there was, uh, what's her name, Uh, the woman doggone it. Uh, yeah in, in, anyway uh and this not this is not true at all uh people like to believe lies that's just all there is to it and uh so uh uh again rates is not it volume is because you know i'm a forester by education and you know how a tree grows uh it grows in rings and so forth well, uh, if uh, you'll notice that uh, the larger the uh, rings get in the tree, the rate uh, decreases, but the volume increases. Yeah. Yeah. Because you see, all the growth is on top of what was there in the past. And so I can demonstrate that with this state farm policy that uh, my brother sold me back in 1959. Uh, if you look at the uh, paperwork that I have of the last several years, uh, the uh, rate of growth, uh, yeah, has been slightly decreasing, but the volume has been going up significantly (laughs) because it works. Compound interest works exactly the same way. You know, um, I love the... uh... I can't remember what airport it's in. Maybe it's in Birmingham, Atlanta, but there's a three or 400 year old slice of a tree. Yeah. And it's in the airport and it it has, uh, markings on things of what, you know, took place. And, Uh you know, when you back up and this thing's probably 12, 12 foot, um, probably about 36 foot in circumference uh-huh when you back up and look at that it's mighty impressive it's 
sure. very impressive. And I think about that every time I walk by there and I take a selfie and uh-huh. keep it on my phone. I don't publish it, but I think about you and the, the tree you cut down at your property. Yeah. Several years ago, you know, to make exactly that point. Right. Great versus volume. But, you know, going back to, if I could say here, this is, you'll remember this, I think that, uh, you know, I, I went into the financial world about 1991 and I went to work with a company that uh, A.L. Williams was a regional manager of, right? Yeah. Fortune 100 company. I bought into the idea of buy term and invest a difference. And of course, mm-hmm. this company, you know, had a family of mutual funds at the time. Yeah. They had an 8.5% front end load. That's how long ago that was, right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> All right. right. All right. So, uh, we used to use or uh, people in the office, they had a book that, uh, you know, they, they tried to get people to read and what have you. And then one chapter out of that book, somebody made into a pamphlet. And uh, these advisors, you know, would use it trying to promote the idea of uh, buying term and investing the difference. And, uh, okay, so I didn't really use them, but, you know, I – heard of the lady Vanita Van Capsule right and so here we are uh 30 30 years later you know I'm I buy a lot of books I read a lot of books and uh Ryan Griggs and I are doing some work on the history of life insurance right and uh I bought this book of this pamphlet off of eBay yeah week a week or two ago and and i haven't opened it yet but i know what's in there Uh, my whole point is you know here's this uh you know financial talking head at the time promoting term insurance and then investing the difference because you know that whole life permanent life insurance had such a high premium you would do so much better buying the term and putting the other to an investment and uh nobody ever talks about the discipline that that's required in that concept, which, you know, 80% of the people don't have. I digress. Um, While I'm kicking around searching for this book and reading up on this book, this pamphlet, um, and now she's deceased, so I don't want to disparage her. Yeah, yeah. It's the idea and the thought, right? But uh, the fact is, uh, all those side investments she was promoting, yeah. They all imploded, went bankrupt. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> lawsuit after lawsuit, right? Yeah. It's the uh, same stuff over and over and over. Well, you see, James, all this goes back to a you know, fairy tale of years ago about the uh, pot of gold being at the end of the rainbow. <laughs> all right. Now, everybody's seen rainbows, right? Oh, yeah. All right. And so they, it starts over here and it goes around like so. Well, you know, I'm an airplane driver, and uh, here I am uh, years ago with family, and uh, we were uh, uh, in a, a, a trip to Hawaii, and uh, I was making a, uh, a flight between the islands the first time, and so forth. Okay, you're flying along, and uh, here's a rainbow, but the, uh, when you're in an airplane, and you look at the rainbow, it's total circle. Yeah. And, and your airplane is in the middle. So, you know, you, you, when you analyze the, the, the rainbow there, you, get, you meet yourself coming. 
You, you didn't even see the leprechaun? <laughs> <laughs> but, but people like to believe that sort of stuff. Uh, but that's just life. See, uh, one of the great things is uh, that little public, that uh, video that you produced here several years ago called uh, Bacon with Life. I, I think there's about 13 personalities on that thing, including uh, yours truly and, and you. Uh, but now, I think number three in the uh, sequence is Paul Cleveland. And Paul Cleveland is pointing out that uh, money is not wealth that uh, wealth is goods and services. Money is the medium exchange whereby we acquire wealth. Well, uh, uh, so uh, here's this story of uh, the uh, black community in um, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma back in 1921 mm -hmm. that was uh, rather wealthy. Uh, it was known as the Black Wall Street of America. Well, uh, the, uh, the biggest race route that ever occurred, uh, occurred, the uh, biggest race route in America that ever occurred was there. Over 300 people were killed. Well, people fixate on the tragedy of what happened there, and rightly so, but they don't ever get around to talking about what caused it. And so uh, this goes with this uh, sentence that I put together here not uh, too many months ago. When there's too much emphasis placed on the, the how of an activity, uh, it's easy to lose the why. And the why is the most important thing of all. Well, why, how, why did uh, this race riot take place, please? Okay, uh, well, uh, there's something back there called Ten Commandments uh, in the Bible. And number 10, what is that one? Thou shalt not covet. Yep. Leonard wrote about this a long time ago that that's probably the most insidious one of all because out of it goes all the other examples of don't do things, so forth. Okay, uh, so imagine this. Here is uh, this rich black community, and uh, here's this poor white trash watching these uh, uh, rich black folks. Well, does the word envy come to mind in your mind? No, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, have you ever seen an example where the uh, have-nots want to build themselves up? No, they will tear the other folks down. That's the easiest way. All right, uh, that's the story of mankind. Well, there are very few places that uh, a uh, black person could go to a public restroom in Tulsa, Oklahoma at that time. One was on the seventh floor of uh, a high-rise building. Now, back in 1921, James, we didn't have push-button elevators. We had elevator operators. Well, uh, tell me, what do you think the pay scale of an elevator operator is? Good grief. It takes no talent at all to do it. Not so much. who would be a good candidate for such a thing? Well, again, male-dominated society back in those days compared with today. Uh, can you imagine a little white girl being an uh, up elevator operator? No. 
All right, the black guy gets on the elevator at uh, floor one and the uh, uh, restroom is on floor seven. And uh, what happened between floor one and floor seven, nobody really knows. But uh, I can pretty well see it. Uh, yeah, here is a chance to uh, bring those uh, rich folks, black folks down. So when she got, when they got the seventh floor, she was screaming. Well, all right, let's put those folks in a in their place. And so that precipitated that race ride. And that's bad. Over three hundred people were killed. They used American airplanes to bomb the place. And if you see pictures of the uh, fifty blocks there, that um, uh, it looked like Syria. Good grief. Well. Nobody talks about how did those guys get wealthy? Well, uh, the truth was that money turned over 30 to 100 times before it ever left the community. Every transaction, uh, wealth was increased. All right, now I'll have to go back to my Austrian background here to... um, point out that uh, there is real money out there today. But most of the money that, that we have is uh, fiat money, is bogus. It has no backing at all. But the, both these monies are uh, in circulation uh, and people can't tell the difference. But you can, uh, you can track it if you'll think the thing through. Let's go back to the black community, okay? Now, um, uh, here's one black guy in the community that has something that he'd like to sell. And here's another black guy that would like to buy that. Okay, now the one that's buying, uh, he's going to have to give the guy that's giving the transfer in the item of the the wealth, the wealth item, the, the good, Uh, What's he going to give him? He's going to give him a token for something that he performed, a good or a service. It's called money. (laughs) That's real money. That that coin or paper or whatever it might be, it doesn't matter. Uh, It is a token of the fact that I did, I performed a, a service or I produced a good for someone, and this person gave me this token uh, as evidence of it. It's real money. All right, now the guy that uh, uh, sold something, now he's got that uh, token. Well, he sees something out there that he could buy and so forth, and so money never turned, left the community 30 to 100 times. It was continuously building wealth goods and services but uh, people don't think this way do they not at all okay now i'm just just envisioning all that wealth pile up within that community contrast that with the fact that uh, you know yours truly has only failed one course in his life Mm -mm. and that was economics for clu studies (laughs) Uh, people in this world love to have letters behind their names you know, evidence that they've gone through some discipline of some sort, okay? 
Well, you get in the life insurance business and you got to become a chartered life underwriter. Okay. All right. Now, the time I went through it, uh, it was two years and there were 10 parts to it. And one part was economics. And of all things, uh, the uh, CLU uh, uh, curriculum uh, was. The book was by Paul Samuelson, borderline communist. Uh, if you extend uh, Paul Samuelson's thinking to its ultimate conclusion, this life insurance business would cease to exist. Good Lord, they don't have life insurance in Russia, heavens above. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, uh, so here I am studying for that, uh, that course, and it's on a Sunday afternoon, and uh, Nobody's at home, anything like that. Well, I read here that Paul Samuelson says, um, the government taxes the economy $10 billion. Now that's money coming in to the, uh, to the government. The government's gonna spend that money. Now that, uh, uh, when they spend that money, it'll turn over three times. And so that will stimulate the economy. Therefore, that's a good idea. Well, uh, so on the final exam, I said, yeah, that's true. This is also true. Al Capone, the notorious gangster, uh, he steals 10 billion from the American public. And he's gonna spend it too. That'll turn over three times, and so that stimulated the economy, therefore we should have more Al Capones. Now, you know, they didn't see any sense in humor that at all, and plunk me. Well, I took the course over and gave them their answer, and they gave me a, a diploma. Now, uh, six, uh, shucks, eight and a half years ago, we downsized where we live, uh, and uh, I found that uh, diploma. It was in a closet facing the wall. Well, I was going to throw it in the ash can because that's about how much I respect for I have for it. But David, my son-in-law, said, oh, no, keep it. So I hung it in my garage. So if you want to see my diploma, you got to come look in my garage. <laughs> no, thank you. I've seen you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you see, that's the thing that's going on out there. That uh, That's what happened to the whole educational community, that uh, we have people out there with diplomas that uh, can't even read the dang diploma. Uh, one of my clients years ago was a uh, veterinarian. His wife uh, uh, had uh, a separate business, and um, uh, one of her key employees was getting his master's degree at uh, UAB here in Birmingham. And uh, Rick said, uh, "The guy can't read a can't write a coherent paragraph," but uh, you know. That's what's going on. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the content, leave us a like or a thumbs up. Share us with your friends. Give us some feedback. And we'll see you next time.